Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi folks, Michael here, welcoming you once more into the Cartoon Salooniverse. You may remember that a few years back we did a mini-series on the wonderful films of the Irish animation studio Cartoon Saloon. And you know, every now and then we like to do follow-up episodes to check in on what the subjects of our mini-series are up to. This is something a little different though. I had the opportunity to curate and host a special event called The Short Films of Cartoon Saloon as part of the London Short Film Festival, which is running this month. And I saw that as a way of celebrating the 25th anniversary of the founding of Cartoon Saloon back in 1999. The programme took in 20 plus years of shorts, going all the way back to some of the very first works of the studio, including From Darkness, Nora Toomey's short film, right up until some of their most recent releases, including Screech's Reach, the Star Wars Visions episode that we discussed on the podcast last year. Now, this short film event was held at the British Film Institute in their gorgeous NFT1 cinema, one of my favourite cinemas in the world, and the BFI actually built their own season to commemorate the 25th anniversary around this event with screenings of all of Cartoon Saloon's features as well. And if you're listening to this on the Friday that we're putting it out, there are still a couple of screenings in that season coming up this weekend. There's also the Puffin Rock movie and My Father's Dragon as well. But what made this so special was that we built this weekend where we had the shorts event and a couple of screenings as well as a sort of headline showcase weekend where we had members of Cartoon Saloon coming over to take part in the events. We had Tom Moore, Nora Toomey and Paul Young flying over to London and it was great to watch this short films programme and then talk to them about it afterwards. And that's the recording I'm going to share with you now. But before I do, let's just run through the actual films that are in this programme. We talked about one or two of them, I think, in the mailbag wrap-up episode of the Cartoon Salooniverse miniseries. But just so we're all on the same page, we have From Darkness, we have Kulin Dulek, which is Backwards Boy from 2004. Those two were made before Cartoon Saloon had even released their first feature, Secret of Kells. And in fact, on From Darkness, as you'll hear on the recording, the studio is credited as The Cartoon Saloon. 
We then have later films like Adrian Merigeaux's Old Fangs, Julian Renard's Somewhere Down the Line, also The Ledge End of Phil from Accounting, and then taking us right up to date, we have 2017's Oscar-nominated short Late Afternoon, directed by Louise Bagnall. We talked about that on the miniseries for sure. One of my favourite short films and one of my favourite cartoon saloon works full stop, I think, that one. And seeing it on the big screen, gosh, what a heartbreaker it was. We then go to 2020's Greenpeace campaign film, There's a Monster in My Kitchen, which was Tom Moore and Fabian Erlinghauser's short and actually shared a lot of the crew with Wolf Walkers, the feature film. And right up to Screechers Reach by Paul Young, which won a special Emmy for production design and is currently up for a couple of Annie Awards as well. Seeing that on the big screen, actually seeing all of these on the big screen, was such an incredible experience. You really do see the artistry, but also the diversity of talents behind the scenes at Cartoon Saloon. You may think that you know what the studio is all about, based on their features but watching these shorts just shows a great array of styles tones moods everything there as well as other filmmakers for you to look up and enjoy and follow through their careers from the short film side of the fence it really was a fantastic event and i was so grateful to everybody involved in putting it on as well as everyone that turned up we had 450 400 people there in the nft one watching these short films in the company of Cartoon Saloon's founders, and then we heard them speak about it, and that is the recording that I can share with you now. So that's enough from me, and let's hand over to me speaking with Tom, Nora, and Paul. I suppose, first of all, what was it like for you three watching that? 20 years of cinema <laughs> collapsed into one. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah. I don't think we've ever watched all those films no. all together in yeah. one place. I just kept tearing up because also I'm forgetting the films and I'm getting the same reaction, but also there's lots of stuff that's associated over 25 years with making those films. It's all flooding back. Like, you know, I'm just getting to making. see it with an audience yeah. as well. Yeah, lovely to see. We rarely so get to see those films along. with an audience. So thanks all for <laughs> and coming. thanks for organising it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for being here. What I noticed is, as the production values kind of improved, or we kind of hit our stride, it was more and more for smaller screens. Yeah. And it's get to see that, like, you know, the, the Star Wars and the Monster in My Kitchen were on a big screen here, and they were some of our most recent work, mm-hmm. and I was really happy to see that. Uh, absolute knockout on the big screen. All yeah. of these, really, having a chance to watch them, because I suppose now we are watching them on YouTube or some sort of player in a, on, a, on a screen. Laptop. Yeah, the Greenpeace short was for distribution yeah. in, on the internet as much as possible. You know. So one thing I noticed watching this, and this is a bit of a cheeky question, perhaps, on From Darkness, you're credited as the cartoon salute yeah. <laughs> so was there a point where Justin Timberlake type came up to you and said drop the the yeah, it's cleaner yeah. well, I think it was Justin actually uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we get called cartoon salon all the time anyway uh-huh. so it, yeah. doesn't, it doesn't matter just the yeah. cartoon Irish place is good enough for us <laughs> Um, take us all the way back to the beginning then because um, I suppose you founded the studio in 1999 from darkness is 2002 are you working on it 2001 um, were, were shorts always on the agenda when you started the studio or was that something you had to do or how did that happen I think the secret of Kells was originally a short right um, yeah and then it grew and it came we thought it would be a TV special and then we realised it was even bigger it was going to be a feature so Nora 
um, we all would apply for this frameworks mm-hmm. scheme with the Irish Film Board in the early days because when we were in college we would have seen even some of our teachers might have applied you know it was sort of a it wasn't a big budget but it was a budget to make a short film and so I remember that year uh, we realised Secret of Kells was going to be a while coming we'd made a trailer kind of and uh, a few of us had applied for a frameworks and Nora got it and uh, it was the first real like production of like our own production yeah, it wasn't work for hire or commercial or and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but it had been you had the idea in college right hmm? you'd had that idea already in college I had been sketching I came across the story of the skeleton woman in a, a book called women who run with wolves and I just loved the idea of running away from the thing that frightens you and then having to turn around and then it transforms I guess I had a lot of nightmares like that I still do <laughs> but um, yeah so I just loved that that uh, concept so I started yeah I started drawing with ink and uh, watercolour uh, quite a bit in sketchbooks and I think uh, but yeah it was uh, art directed by my then partner now husband uh, Michael who uh, it's funny actually because you see you know people's names pop up through them for um, somewhere down the line Julian Renard's film um, myself and Michael got to have a huge argument, uh, you know, with, the, with the, yeah. the, the, the couple driving at the beginning of the film. And I remember the, the editor, uh, Dara, was recording it. And I thought he was really angry with us, but he, he was really um, upset at myself and Michael arguing. You know, so we were having a great time. And, uh, yeah, he was, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's just funny just seeing people in different roles, I guess, uh, through the films coming in at different ways of supporting them. Well, even on From Darkness, it's... Um uh, Jeremy and Lorraine, who uh, just directed the Puffin Rock uh, yeah, feature right. that we are showing yeah. here as well. Uh, so there are names who are cropping up throughout the whole history. But what was the, how was the studio sort of put together and run at the time? Were you all mucking in? Because Paul, you even have credits on that first one. Uh, on credits, sound yeah, I did and sound. Yeah, yeah, we did the sound. Remember in a bathtub. You know, you can make the sound <laughs> of snow by by squirts twisting a leather glove. Foot first oh. stuff. We discovered that. Me and Martin. But uh, it was very ra- like. I mean, we we didn't know how to raise money for things, or didn't know really uh, how you got the money. And it was a f- our, our current managing director when me and Tom very early days went up and looking for advice. He had a studio in Dublin. He says, just go out to all the festivals and show up. And so it was very much friends from college, about fifteen of us, going down to Tom's hometown where young Irish filmmakers were there, was this brilliant place for kids. My daughter's in it now, Robin. Um, where, where kids, just like a sort of youth club, yeah, I really. I grew up in there, yeah. yeah. It was kind of the place where, if you weren't good, hurling is uh, an Irish sport that's incredibly popular in Kilkenny. And I went to the school that produced all the best hurlers. So myself and Ross Stewart, who co-directed Wolfwalkers, and you would have seen him in some of those, uh, were the kind of... Um, not hurlers and so we found young we found young Irish filmmakers which had the double benefit you could learn about how to make films you could muck around with equipment and there was girls as well not just boys and I was triple benefit I was so jealous of this when the lads told me about because there was I would come from Boyle even smaller and yeah it was like video game the shop with the two video games and football which my dad coached. <laughs> so the idea of being able to which gave I think a brilliant start for, for Tom and Ross and, and Tom and, and sort of inspired us oh we can make things you know I think that was the great lesson it was a real you can make stuff empowering time it was the yeah. 90s 
and equipment like now you can make a film with your phone but back then equipment was kind of hard to get your hands on myself and Ross had tried to make a cartoon and we had all the cells painted and with the backgrounds and we had no way to shoot it so we joined Young Irish Filmmakers trying to get the Bolex camera you know and then we it was very like Amiga very early software but still it was very empowering and uh, you know even just making Lego men move and stuff was really empowering and it just felt like a place where you could um, have a go and that you it wasn't something that was kind of behind a a, a wall like mm. it was something very tactile that you could do and, and and I learned there I think that like you can do something better in a group than on your own because I'd been a classic kind of nerd making comics in my bedroom and then there was a little gang of us in Young Irish Filmmakers that were into animation and art and working together we could do something better and that was sort of where I got the spirit of animation because animation is such a collaborative medium I realised that this is better than just trying to do it all on my own you know mm. And the board of Young Irish <coughs> Filmmakers um, managed to get a grant for us uh, and you know, set aside a room for us so we could make all our mistakes and we weren't in a big you know, high overhead you know, a, a place where we had to you know, do a lot of commercials or anything like that. We were able to kind of um, spend the time just exploring, making lots of mistakes um, you know, and, and finding out how to do things and how to work even as a team because when you go through we, you know, Jeremy and Lorraine and Fabian all, all of these people had gone to college with us but we hadn't really figured out how to work in a, in a team um, you know, and how to get something done for a deadline like Screen Ireland, the film board were incredible for us just making us stick to deadlines you know because you know films are never finished you just someone takes them off you you know so and so having to to get ready for the Galway film flower or something like that um you know it was a huge discipline for us and it, it, it was uh, yeah it was an incredible experience and the skills that we learned um making the shorts all the way through we applied to the kind of larger projects you know? I think the main thing was that we'd all studied in Ballyfermot College to be animators at, at most, maybe in between. You know, it was sort of an, uh, an antiquated course because things were changing in the 90s with Toy Story and all. And so Filmmakers was an opportunity for us to kind of continue that college experience and keep playing with hand-drawn animation and keep on experimenting and stuff. But the shorts, I suppose, that we just watched were also a continuation of that when the studio was a little... As the studio grew, it continued to be a place where some of the young talent to get a chance to make their own films and there's like you see an array of filmmakers they were all people that kind of came out of the crew from the different projects and had an idea and mm. got made I'd love to ask about that in a second before we leave From Darkness so did, did that play at Galway was that your first experience of showing a cartoon saloon piece of work to an audience uh, yeah uh, and then shortly after that at Annecy which was incredible because oh, yeah. it was a huge uh, Huge audience, and I suppose it was the first time it really hit me that it's you know it's no longer whatever piece of work you do, it's no longer yours. It belongs to the audience, you know, and how they connect with uh, with the, the characters. And it also was the first time I realised that you can stand up and go. The reason that scene isn't that well animated is because we ran out of time and somebody was sick, and we had to get somebody else to animate. And it just is what it is, you know, at that point. So I suppose I've always. Um, it, it changed um, how I, I suppose, direct even, or and how I, you know, encourage other directors to just really, you know, if you fi- if something is really important to you, in your gut and in your heart, just go for that and just hold on to that feeling rather than the compromises. You ha- oh, obviously all filmmaking as well as you know being taken off you. It's also a, a bunch of compromises, but the ones that hit you here, are the ones that you can't let go of, you know. So mm-hmm. that's that's uh, yeah something I learned from that. And then the sort of the watching them side by side, you you feel the shifts in styles between mm-hmm. the films. So between From Darkness and then uh, Cullen Dulac, Backwards Boy, 
so different. Um, at that point, were you looking at shorts as a way of trying different things, or is that just how it felt? Absolutely, actually. Yeah, we should probably get um, we should probably get the thirty five. I just realised because they're <laughs> off of JPEGs. That's why they're all so faded. The first couple of films. Um, yeah, we were trying things. Yeah, that whole photo montage style. I think something that you were interested in, Tom, with Ross. Uh, Stuart uh, at the time the, 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 uh, from Darkness was, was Michael um, uh, art directed it so yeah we were, we were absolutely trying different things but even now we continue you know it's Creatures Reach and mm-hmm. we're working on a short at the moment that you know we're, we're looking at them and going okay well if we try this technique you know what impact does that have on production you know and, and okay can we do that on a, on a bigger scale so they're, they're just yeah fantastic training grounds. Mm, yeah it's such an amazing array of styles throughout the film so as we move into you know, those first couple are from 2001, 2002, 2004 into the, the period where maybe it's after Song of the Sea and the studio is a bit more formalised and it is as you say an opportunity for younger filmmakers to have their stab at directing a short. How do some of these projects come about when it is some of these uh, more junior or younger filmmakers? Well for example with um, Somewhere Down the Line uh, with uh, Julian Renard he had uh, he had uh, worked on Storyboarded and backgrounds on Song of the Sea mm. yeah. so he really stood out as being like a really talented young voice that we wanted to support and uh, a lot of them kind of were in between projects like Old Fang's Adrian Mirjo Maya Mirjo now was uh, uh, back, one of the background supervisors on Secret of Kells and had that idea and like we were between Secret of Kells and Song of the Sea when we made that you know so it was an opportunity with a skeleton crew in between the features to you know to like as Norris experiment and try stuff out you know and, and then the frameworks itself is a yeah. once a year thing now it doesn't give you all the money you're going to need but you know it gives you some money and then we, we have equipment in the studio so it's like we, we're quite strict with the filmmakers as well like look this is the money you have really try to make for that money because we don't have any more and then use all the equipment and then we do kind of invest in it too and then when you try to get it distributed you're trying to put some of your money in there to make sure it gets seen and gets out there yeah which worked really well for late afternoon actually and on all of them really yeah so I remember when Louise was graduating from college I had it like she was part of a, a little group that I saw kind of kinship with us when we graduated in Ballyfermot and some of them, including her partner Kieran, came to the studio for Song of the Sea. So we kind of coaxed her uh, down to the studio because we had an eye on her as a director and now she's directing a, a feature with us after she did the short. So it's a good example of like people come and um, yeah, like Adrian came in as an intern and became a background supervisor and then directed and then was art director on Song of the Sea. So it's kind of part of the ramp, you know, people mm-hmm. come in and they train on the productions and then they get a chance to maybe to do a short and then who knows what more, you know. Yeah, so watching them all on the big screen, they're all so tr- amazing and striking. Um, but ev- with the world of shorts, often they are just shown at festivals they're enjoyed by people in the industry sometimes they do break through if there is an Oscar nomination in in play and that's something that happened with Late Afternoon so what was the different about that one in terms of the the journey it went on Um, I think it was we had had lots of experience at this stage with that kind of like trying to get things out um, and we did, and we actually, I think a good difference must say is we we were were becoming better known by the, the people, like the people that are in those kind of academies and stuff, we were getting better known. So it's a bit easier to signal boost 
out of the out of so many brilliant shorts that happen. Mm -hmm. And you have to be hit in certain festivals. You have to kind of be selected in certain festivals. And then we actually got to know some people like publicists over in LA. So that actually does help. So people who know and they they help get the word out. And then you have to make a good film. Come here, they're all good, right? Because I remember yeah. from Darkness we got a fax. That's how long ago. It was. Yeah. And it was left in the it machine over lifted. Christmas or something. Mm. I remember we yeah, were. Like, <laughs> It was I on the short on list. VHS tapes, so we copied them by hand. We couldn't even send them. <laughs> but we got a fax in. It was on the short list for the Oscars. Yes. We didn't get nominated, but it got that. And yeah, back then, it was it. it was kind of like this mystery. How did you even get that close to the Academy? So but by the time late afternoon was out, we had much more knowledge of how to get it in front of the right people. But I think it's a particularly beautiful film. Yeah. Yeah. And even figuring out what festival you should apply for, because if you know in a, in a particular region or country that you know you might. Uh, cancel out a, like a bigger festival or something like that if you've already um, screened the film and yeah and, and of course the uh, you know uh, digital availability just changed it utterly I remember actually on From Darkness trying to coordinate if I ha if I send the print to this festival they can send it directly to the next festival yeah. without me having to send it because I can't afford to and you know trying to be all the logistics of that and then so same um, with Secret of Kells there was 35 yeah. prints of Secret of Kells in the world and they were being <laughs> shipped around <laughs> Mad. Friends would ship like like actually there, I was able to when I finally met when we were doing the Star Wars short when I met Catherine Kennedy she was one of those people who when we were in LA trying to get Secret of Kells shown to people she was a friend of the distributor from doing Persepolis she mm. co-executive right. Persepolis so I was getting an email from Kathleen Kenny says look I have your 35mm Stephen, Stephen as in Steven Spielberg would like to see it can I send it to him I said sure yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then she emailed me back uh, he likes to keep it for another weekend because he wants to show the kids and a few grandkids oh grand yeah so I was like literally sitting in the hotel in LA Tracking the 35 mm The concept that he could play 35 mm in, in his house. house. In his house. So <laughs> he was showing it in his house to friends. So that was good. Friends in high places, also very good. But like these are, you know, random things. But I think the community over there as well, mm -hmm. the animation community in general, is really hospitable and really welcoming. So we've always been treated really well. Because when, when we first went over there, we were greeted at the, at the airport by a beautiful Jamie who took us around the place, who unfortunately has passed away. She was an animation artist yeah. who was like a super fan who ended up becoming like first unofficial and then officially our publicist in LA because yeah. she would literally hand out DVDs to friends who were Academy members and stuff. She was yeah. just such a fan. So people like that on the mm -hmm. ground. And worked on Sylvain Chaumet's uh, Yeah, films. she'd worked on yeah. The Illusionist too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's that. And then actually with Late Afternoon, it actually is still... Jerry, who, like, we worked with a distributor, and shorts actually d don't do so bad now. Used, there was a period when Secret of Cows, when, when cinema was dying, and then people were pirating everything, and that really kind of killed us with Secret of Cows. We didn't get any DV, we didn't get any revenue from DVDs because mm -hmm. it was just, just when sort of the, the system was a bit broken, and the only way to see a film was to actually download it illegally. Um, and now that's sort of caught up with streaming, people are able to pay for films digitally. And now Later Afternoon has a good run on airlines and mm. it's still been paid for by people which is great we still get checks in because people have bought now there's a market for shorts yeah. again online which is amazing because there was yeah. this kind of wilderness period when we were making shorts as you say really just for festivals <laughs> but I remember Old Fangs was the first one that suddenly was getting loads of hits and it went to Sundance and people were able to watch it on YouTube and being able to read everyone's comments underneath it was really exciting like. yeah 
gosh, late afternoon on a plane. I mean, if here it's making me <laughs> sob uncontrollably at high altitude, I can't imagine. Yeah, you always cry more on a plane. I remember seeing this film, A Monster Calls. Did you ever yes. see that? Yeah. Gee, I was a mess, and everyone all was handing me tissues and all that. I was like, this is a really sad film, but I think it was also the fact that it was up high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned Kathy Kennedy, Paul. Um, we should talk about Screech's Reach. Um, first of all, how incredible it looks, and you know, we should shout out Almu Redondo, who um, got an Emmy for yeah, yeah, the production yeah. design, art direction, uh, which, you know, watching at home, I was like, come on, some of these massive shots need to be seen up here, so we're very privileged That's to see it. But, to see it so you, you had been hands-on to begin with, but then had gone the producer path. Yes, I then, kind of, when we started, I was the one, sort of, this is the story I tell at times, but uh, I was the one sitting beside the phone and the one computer, so I was answering, so I became the producer. <laughs> That's what it was. But I kind of enjoyed the going out and traveling while, you know, and with me and Tom traveled a little bit at first, and then I continued and just tried to, how the hell do you get the his, money? His nickname in the early years was Paul Hollywood Young. Because <laughs> we were all sitting freezing in Young Irish Filmmakers while Paul was, was off. pictures of me over Yeah, there, taking uh, pictures with, like, but I'm Pamela Anderson is work. on the I'm beach. I'm constantly trying to justify these trips. It is work. I'm trying to meet people. So, Jesus, he's swanning around over there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, and then, but always sort of, always thinking at some point I'll try to do more mm. back into it again and thankfully the, Nora and Tom I'm eternally grateful for them were encouraging me before to oh look Paul now maybe we should think about directing and to sort of focus and we're doing a sort of thing where we are trying to refocus ourselves into what we'd like to do and create so I was and just as I was trying to come up with something sci-fi I says oh wouldn't it be what would it be like if Carton Sloon did a science fiction? Yeah. Because I'd be into science fiction. And just around that time, a producer, Jackie, Jack, uh, Jackie Lopez from Lucasfilm, rang up and says, would you like to do a Star Wars short, basically offering it? So, yeah, this is a great opportunity for me then. I says, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> uh, I didn't even tell the lads, I'll do it right. No, I did. But it was a good opportunity for me to, to I think, to, to cut my teeth it away as a director. And then it was an amazing crew that I had Post-Wolfwalkers. Both, both Monster in My Kitchen and Screechers Reach kind of inherited a well-oiled yeah, team of I was very lucky. people from Wolfwalkers. And you can yeah. kind of see it, I think. You can kind of feel that they're related a bit. Mm-hmm. I feel it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Animators like Rohit Kelker as well on, on Screechers Reach. Yeah. Just a really, there's just some amazing, really fantastic uh, yeah. 2D animators out there. Yeah, and, I'll, and, and I was big into... I've got some friends from Belfast here in Art College, University of Ulster where I was st- I was mad about Ralph Steadman as a ah. so I wanted to go back to very much trying to do something very inky and, and, and the line looking very like a brush and inky so basically that was kind of part of that was like let's make it look very like expressionistic mm-hmm. ink and marks and paper so yeah it was great I, it was one of the best years of my life I just <laughs> loved it I just loved the whole experience and mad to do more yeah. and Tom on uh, There's a Monster in My Kitchen uh, first of all what's it like going from making feature films to then like under two minutes to tell your story but also I suppose you're taking something that's subtext in many of the features and making it text which is the environmental theme yeah, um, it was uh, right at the end of Wolfwalkers, which was in the middle of lockdown. So it seemed a bit intimidating, and I was pretty tired. I remember Nora encouraging me to, to go for it, because it was when Greenpeace approached it, and I saw the subject matter was... So I've been vegan for 15 years, and vegetarian for a long time before that, and they said the McCartneys were behind it, Stella and Paul, and Paul had been one of the inspirations for me to be a vegetarian. So everything was aligning with what I cared about, but I was totally pooped. 
But um, it was great because the team, everyone, working from home, which was crazy, you know. And uh, I was already on sabbatical in, in Paris. I was studying life drawing, you know. So part of it I was storyboarding, like, from Paris. But it didn't matter because, you know, it was the lockdown. Everyone was used to working from home and everything like that. So. Fabian Erlinghausen yeah, as well. Yeah, massively, massively helped. Like, because Fabian hadn't been able to be... He'd been uh, only done a little bit on Wolfwalkers. He'd been busy on another project, his own TV series, I think. He was delighted, and I was delighted to work with him. You know, it was really nice. So when I came back then, um, when we were kind of... When we'd wrapped it, we only had... We had one, like, um, round table that we did to... to kind of promote it and it was the time that we were all sitting together again we hadn't seen each other because we'd all been kind of siloed during the lockdown but it, we, everyone was so used to working together on Wolf Walkers it was a bit like a victory lap mm. and for me it was kind of personal because I got my little nephews um, uh, from Peru and I based a little boy in it on him on Salvador and the mum on my sister and so that was kind of nice as well That's very sweet um, Okay folks in the audience moment of truth any hands up for some questions? someone right in the second row here just down there but actually there's someone there right next to you if you want to go there first and then we'll come down here afterwards Hi guys um, I've got a very nerdy question um, so I'm a big fan of the Moho software that I'm sure you guys are aware of Like, I know you guys work with Victor Perez a lot I've seen Jeremy Purcell's webinars on the, on the tools what I find really interesting is that a lot of studios are sort of anxious about adopting new technology and new workflows, which is something that you guys have done recently. You know, I know you use a lot on Screech's Reach and obviously like Puff and Rock and stuff. So as a studio, how are you guys adjusting to updating your workflow to adopt these tools? Well, uh, actually, yeah, so we, we're, we do a little bit of a hodgepodge. We're always looking for... I remember Secret yeah. of Kells was on paper... But and then we had the precursor to Moho, which was called Anime Studio Pro, yes. which Jeremy, who was the effects supervisor, used. And I remember being really impressed because it was Ross's paintings, literally his paintings could, could move. Mm. And that was it. You know, we wanted to get a hand, hand-painted, hand-drawn on screen, but we couldn't have done it. Like, we would have taken 15 years to, you know. So we had to use some little workarounds. And then that just kind of grew and grew. And by the time we were doing the Puff and Rock series... Um, Jeremy kind of did a little test I wanted to do it like frame by frame hand drawn but for a series that would be crazy and Jeremy did a little test with Lily Bernard's designs and they had all the textures and everything of like a pop up book but he could move it so it was like a beautiful synergy of still looking handmade and it was handmade but then using the technology to get it on screen so I think that was the appeal of Moho it was that was a way to get paintings moving without having to go into you know, 3D and things like that. It was just I used it a lot on My Father's Dragon as well with the, the, the whole island uh, shaking and working as as close as, as possible with Victor, I think, and him working with the art director and with the, the background team and the animation team, um, have, you know, because he's a, an artist kind of first and foremost, uh, that uh, worked really well as with Jeremy. I mean, they just understand... You know how much is too much, and how you know because we really want to keep the kind of aesthetic beauty and the, the hand-drawn nature of what we do. So um, when we use it, we're you know we're quite uh, 
focused about where we use it and how we use it. We try to figure out uh, what something's going to look like first and then see what's going to suit best. And we're actually probably going to do testing on another bit of software soon as well. That's uh, what I... Yeah, um, we're in the batch. No, I, I, I think on uh, Wolfwalkers, we wanted to really celebrate hand-drawn. And I think you can see in all the shorts, there's a scratchiness even to the earliest stuff. There's collage. It's real artsy, craftsy stuff that we wanted to keep going rather than looking shiny and perfect you know and I think more and more as AI and stuff comes in I think more and more that we're in the right direction leaning into handmade it doesn't mean we can't use technology cleverly to help us get stuff made and put the artist's hands on screen you know so that's what I think is most important like and going back to Kells yeah it was it was all drawn on paper and scanned and coloured and then by Wolfwalkers nearly everything was drawn directly with Cintiqs except for the Wolf Vision which was um Ross and I wanted to show the world how it would look if you were a wolf, you know, and there was videos online of people trying to, to figure it out, and they don't see colour the same as us, but scent is very important to them. And we did concepts, and it was all charcoal you know, like just charcoal and then just colour for the scents. Then we worked with a guy called Evan McNamara, talented director, that, like from Louise's generation. He had his own studio, Paper Panther, at the time up in Dublin, and he came down and we kind of iterated a process where we would build the forest or the town or whatever in Blender and move the camera with, with a VR headset on, you know. And then Ross and I could literally plan out. We were, like, pretending to be wolves and stuff. And it was very rough, very, very rough CG. It didn't have any details or anything. And then Evan would draw over that with grease pencil, a little bit more detail. And then we'd print every frame, and we did a team of nine people who spent the entire three years of the production doing just that five minutes. But it was worth it, because on screen then it's charcoal and pencil every frame is on paper and you can feel it but how we got to that was using really like the latest technology so that's kind of just to point out as well on Kells it was mostly paper but we also used flash macromedia flash which became Adobe the little background guys yeah yeah, and also some 3D as well so again we we just you know we used the budget and the people that we had the best way we could to Mm. you know put the art direction on the screen whatever way we could we weren't it's funny how the story goes though because there's a kind of a like we've managed to attract a lot of classical hand-drawn animators that want to keep going with that art form and then on the other hand we're doing all this kind of technological innovation and it kind of goes back and forwards all the time because like I say we're always just trying to have the trying to get the artist's hand on screen you know but I was recently interviewed and someone said and so you made Screechers Reach entirely in Moho I was like no 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 it's like a mixture of hand-drawn there's the, the banshee there's, there's actually ink on paper paper the but the vehicles are moho, so vehicles, it's a real yeah, blend, you know. Yeah, so think like for people in the audience who don't understand the difference, like there's hand-drawn animation which you draw and on frame by frame, where you draw your hand, and then there's certain softwares which are almost like CGI, which you can rig like textures or rig things that can be manipulated then digitally. Yeah. More like move. cut-out animation. Yeah, more like cut-out animation. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the difference. So like vehicles like that, they're moho. They're built kind of. It's not exactly c- CGI, but it's like shapes that can be moved in the computer, and then hand-drawn characters on top. So the characters are still TV paint hand drawn, and yeah. But let's say at the heart of it all is the language of painting and drawing, and I think we felt that if we stuck with that, we could do something timeless. Because if everything just looked like the latest shiny technology, it ages really quickly. And when I look at the first Toy Story from '95, it looks quite ropey now, mm-hmm. even though at the time I thought it looks uber realistic, because the CG kept on progressing. But if you look at Bambi, or you look at Totoro, mm-hmm. or you look at Ponyo or the boy in the heron they all kind of have a, a same visual language because there's a hand drawn aesthetic and even though they're 
the latest stuff is mixing in a bit of computer technology. It's the language of painting and drawing that keeps it timeless, I think. Mm, absolutely. I think we're down to is it the person with the glasses on their head. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's where they are. Lost, That's where lost they are. Him. Thank you. Um, uh, what was my question? I guess this might end up being actually relevant to what you were just talking about. I mean, basically, I was wondering how how long does it make take to make a short animation? Like, is it pro- proportional to making a feature length? And you know, do you? I feel like one of the things I notice is that you know you're talking about like your sort of style, and it, these things all were very coherent, but also maybe more they some of them the styles were more different than I maybe expected, having only seen like a couple of the features that you've done. What am I asking? Yeah, um, <laughs> and yeah, short making. How long does it take? And then I guess does do if you're just talking about like all those different technologies that you use, like if if it when you make a short, can you try out different things? Because does it does it take less time? How how do you decide what you spend your time on shorts or features? How long's a short? How long's a well, piece of string? It depends. If if you're working on your own and you're doing it in the evenings after you come home from your day job, it might take you twenty years. You know, if you've got a team of ten people. Uh, who you can spend a nine to five on it uh, five days a week you can it can take you about a year uh, uh, to do that shorts always uh, to me they seem so um, easy <laughs> because by comparison just because you can fix like if something goes wrong you can actually fix it you can you know you can you, whereas uh, with a feature um, it's just it's they're, they're just such huge juggernauts by by uh, by comparison so shorts uh, can be very free um, depending on how much experience you have as well you know and then experiences and you know uh, it, sometimes what you might have to say with your first piece of work even though it might be rough around the edges might be um, you know might might be more impactful than something that you know maybe later in your career or whatever so but it, yeah, if you had, if you have about ten people who are, you know, know what they're doing, it can take about a year or one person twenty years. In the <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, was there, there was a second part. Does technology make it go quicker? Some of this technology. It, well, that's what you want. I mean, if it's going to make it go slower, then you just don't use it. But you know, <laughs> uh, but, but that is it. Actually, it's a really good. Like for example, on the short that we're doing at the moment, we had planned to make it one way or to do parts of it one way. And then somebody said, hang on, we've got two people here that, you know, we're going to have very little work for if we don't use them in this. We don't have a person for using it that other way, so it makes more sense. So the agility in uh, shorts work is fantastic as well because you're literally talking about two people as opposed to an entire department of 20 people in a co-production studio where you don't share the first language maybe or whatever. It's an interesting, it's an interesting example, though, and the current short is not released yet, that actually something that was planned to be done with some fiddly siege or computer technologies ending up being faster just to do by hand so it's it's always just what's the best way to get it done and it is a good way to try out stuff for the features because I'm watching what's happening on Screechers Reach and then on the new short we're making and for the next feature I do I'd like to borrow some of the techniques and you know you, you, you discover a lot on the short you know I'm just looking across to Josh the producer should we wrap up sorry we've got to get out because there's more films on this afternoon but before we go you've mentioned this short so is this something on the horizon further away that we can well, be excited yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're in the middle of making a short with Giovanna Ferrari, who was uh, part of the animation team on uh, Song of the Sea, head of story and the breadwinner, uh, head of story and animation director on uh, My Father's Dragon. She's mm-hmm. making her own short now called Eru, and we're about halfway through. It's kind of a celebration of uh, the goddess Bridget, who's a big, big thing in Ireland, and uh, so she's just having a great time in the teamer. 
having yeah a lovely time and it looks really really beautiful so yeah and then for anyone who's maybe seen la- uh, late afternoon for the first time today and wonders what's going to happen next louise has a project on the horizon as well we absolutely. can talk about that now can't yes we? absolutely yeah. starting off yeah feature yeah. based uh, based on the book julian is a mermaid mm-hmm. yeah which I read to my son when he was tiny, oh, and I great. can't yeah. wait to see that. Yeah, so there's more to come. Can't wait, and there's more to come this weekend as well. We've got the got the screening of the Breadwinner this afternoon, as well as Wolf Walkers, and another panel with the three of you on Sunday afternoon as well to have more chats. But for now, everyone, please say thank you to Paul, Tom, and Nora for joining us. Thank you for coming along as well. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So that was me talking with Nora Toomey, Tom Moore and Paul Young at the BFI for our special Cartoon Saloon short films program that we held as part of the London Short Film Festival and also the Cartoon Saloon at 25 season at the BFI. As I said, both the LSFF and the Cartoon Saloon at 25 season are both running until the end of January. So if you're listening to this and there are still a couple of days left, have a look at their various websites to see what's happening. I just want to say thanks to Charlotte at the London Short Film Festival for getting in touch with me and saying, let's put on a shorts programme of animation. And I said, what about these Cartoon Saloon shorts? That was really fun to get the ball rolling. Also, thank you to Susan and the team at Cartoon Saloon. We've spoken to so many members of the Cartoon Saloon family over the years and we've covered all their films, so it was really great to bring all that together for a really special event at the BFI, which reminds me to thank Justin, the programmer, Josh, who produced the event, and to Richard on the press team, who sent over the file for the recording. If this has whetted your appetite to hear more about the films of Cartoon Saloon, please go back through the archive and check out our Cartoon Saloonverse miniseries. We have special episodes about all of their features, from The Secrets of Kells all the way up to the Puffin Rock 
movie that came out last year. We also have in-depth interviews with many of the members of the team, including Tom Moore and Ross Stewart talking about Wolfwalkers. We have Nora Toomey speaking about My Father's Dragon, and then Paul Young talking about Screech's Reach. And then from below the line, we also have Will Collins, who co-wrote a couple of the features, like Song of the Sea, but also co-wrote Screech's Reach most recently. So go back to the archive. We have all sorts of episodes about Cartoon Saloon. And if you want to see any of the shorts, many of these are on YouTube or on various streaming services. Screechers reaches on Disney Plus, so you have to have a subscription for that. But pretty much all the other ones are on Cartoon Saloon's YouTube channel, and I really would recommend you watch them if you can, because they really do tell the full story of the studio and show off their talents that maybe you don't always see in their features. Thank you for listening, folks. We should be back with a more traditional episode with me, Jake and Steph talking about animation very shortly. If you want to keep up with what we do, we're over on Twitter slash X at Ghibliotech. We're on Instagram as well, ghibliotech.pod. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 